Okay. Well, here we are, Matthew. It has been... Hi, Corey. It's been quite a long time, hasn't it? Since we've done this. Yeah. It's been like... Late June. A couple months. Yeah, yeah. A month and a half. Uh, okay, we should, before we jump right in, because we're going to get into some pretty heavy stuff here, talking about Numbers 21 after your sermon yesterday. Um, uh, what have you been up to? Uh, summer. Tell us a little bit. What, what's a highlight from the summer? Yeah. So the summer, um, we went to Alberta, spent some time on uh, Tanya's parents' farm. Tanya grew up there. So they've been on this farm for like 42 years and it's quiet. There's deer, there's moose. Mm, it's so nice. it's just like beautiful and very tranquil. And our kids are at the age where they totally play with their cousins and they just kind of um, like they're now... They're, you know, we don't have toddlers anymore. So it's so yeah, nice. Right. They can play with their cousins. They can run around. So it actually allows Tanya and I to sit on a deck with a coffee way mm. more than we used to. So it's so a new, nice. new phase for us, which is nice. Yeah. I feel like you're in the golden years now, right? Because how old is your, how old is Micah, your youngest? Micah is four and Lucy's seven and Ella's yeah. six. Yeah. So you got the next, like the next five years is like, I think some of the best times you'll have. Oh, nice. And then... Just and then what? <laughs> no, no, just joking. No, no, it's good. It's the golden years. Because I think, I think, yeah, it's, I always feel like those are like when you're, your kids are able, they're a little bit independent, but they still totally adore you and they rely on you and they trust you, but they're also exploring and discovering, you know, it's just like the best. What teenage years can pose different challenges for sure, but. I'm sure they can. Uh, yeah, that's right. But it's, it's, it's all good. Every, how, every season of life is good. How about you? Yeah, probably the highlight for us was we went to Sook, uh, Vancouver Island, um, about, uh, I don't know, a week, week ago or so, week and a half. We, I had a couple weeks off, and um, yeah, last week was we had kids camp, uh, but before that, we were at Sook, and it was beautiful. We went uh, onto the island, and we had rented a place there through VRBO, and it was like right on the ocean, gorgeous weather, and like we were walking distance from uh, this beautiful beach called French Beach. And uh, so, yeah, we actually took one of our dogs along, Billy, which was really fun. So he, she, I should say, uh, enjoyed that. We had lots of fun. And then we also brought a couple of a couple of non-Alsteads, which was also mm. fun. So, yeah, yeah. Really? Yes, we did. So that was a new, that was a new thing for us, too. And it was, it was great. We had a ton of fun. So, By the way, your dog's name is Billy? Yeah. Yeah, Billy. I can only think of Henry. Oh, Henry, uh, Henry went to be with the Lord uh, a few years ago. Yeah, RIP, yeah. <laughs> That's right. We'll see him in the new heavens and the new earth. <laughs> Looks like we need a, a podcast about okay. what happens to pets when they no. die. The Bible's pretty clear about, you know, lion and the lamb and like, you know, like the uh, the wolves and the scorpions and the snakes and all that hanging out together and right? It's all can't wait. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna love spending time with Henry. <laughs> okay. Okay, real quick, what books are you reading right now? Um, I'm reading a book uh, by Dallas Willard oh, called yeah. um, The Allure of Gentleness. Mm. Actually, it's a really important book. Like when we're thinking about the future future sermon series, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that we're going through a season of angry politics, mm, totally. um, a season of lots of just controversy around like whether it's the coronavirus or, uh, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter or whatever. Mm the escalating arguments, yes, you know, yeah. wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Christians are, are, are not speaking to each other very well and, and are not maybe speaking to the world very well. And so actually Willard wrote this book on apologetics, which is, you know, how to defend the Christian faith. Yeah, yeah. And he says, he argues for gentleness. Hmm. He says, you should be sharp with your truth. 
like incredibly clear and sharp with your truth, but you should be the most gentle people on the planet in how you communicate. And I thought, I don't think you can do that with social media, <laughs> like, or texts yeah, or even yeah. emails. Like, how do you be, how can you be gentle on Twitter? You know? Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking a lot about that. And I just, I'm really loving the book because mm. he's so smart and he's razor sharp and he's clear and he's, he was a philosophy professor at, in California yeah. uh, for years. And yet I can just tell even in his writing, he's incredibly gentle. Mm. So it's finding that, that balance and that, yeah. Anyway, so I'm really, I'm really loving the book and I feel like it'll weave its way somehow into a sermon series in the future, but I yeah. Love that. that sounds so good. How about you? Gentleness. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I'm reading, I, I, I often read, I, I'm, I've gotten way slower at reading, which I, I kind of, it's bad. And it's because of, it's because of social media. I know it is. Oh, and, and Netflix and, you know, there's just so much to watch and so much to, so, right. but I'm reading two books right now. One is a David Bentley Hart book, which I've told you about, <laughs> which is all about um, eternity. And it's a good one. Uh, it's, it's a, uh, very interesting. Mm. Um, and then uh, another one that is, it's a novel and it's called, I think it's called Washington Black. And it's all about, it's actually about a, a young black man who from like, I don't even know what, what era this was before, probably 1800s, I think. And he is, uh, he's a slave and it's, um, but he ends up being, he ends up with this, his, his master who is actually secretly an abolitionist and also uh, is kind of an inventor, like he loves creating things, and so he gets. And this guy's the so our the the, um, the young black man's name is Washington Black, and uh, and that's just kind of how they named them back then. I guess his first name is Washington, then he's black, and so they just that's what they call him. But it's this. It's I mean it's it's a. I'm probably about halfway through, and it's a beautiful story, and I mean tragic too to read these you know just accounts of what um, what these people went through. But it is this neat story of this relationship that's growing between him and his and his master, who doesn't even really act like he is his master, although that's the context they're in, and it's, I think it, it's you see how there's a lot. It's hard for that to be avoided sometimes, but yeah. it's um, but it's neat. He's creating a like a um, a hot air balloon is hmm. his thing that he calls it. I forget what he calls it, a cloud something or other, and cloud cutter, I think. And uh, and so and so Washington is helping him. Anyways, it's it's really it's a really great book. So it's cool, loving that. Huh? What are you watching? Uh, oh man, <laughs> I, like I love documentaries. Um, what am I watching? <laughs> Two nights ago, I watched an hour long, um, presentation by one of my former professors on, uh, bread in communion. The news, uh, my wife's a Calgary Flames fan. So Calgary, Fla oh, uh, Calgary yeah, Flames, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, they're in the playoffs. <laughs> I just kidding. That other one sounds good too. I know. <laughs> I know. Boring. No, no, no. What, uh, what are you watching? Uh, you know, right now, Sherry and I are watching a TV series and there's only eight episodes, which is too bad because it's really good. It's called The Capture. And it's uh, it's like a from the UK. It's a really interesting uh, kind of thriller slash mystery show all about. And it's like a modern day thing, but it's all about um, this this guy who's accused of of kidnapping and murdering someone. And the cameras, the street cameras, CCTV show that he has done it. And yet, we're becoming increasingly convinced that he didn't do it. And somehow things have been messed with. Anyways, it's all it's very it's kind of espionage and it's like weird stuff undercover and you're trying to figure out what happened. And yeah, it's actually, hmm. it's really good. Yeah. Wow. So it's good. Okay. We should probably get moving here, I guess. We're already a few minutes into this thing. So, um, yeah, Matthew yesterday. So we're in this series, of course, on yeah. the desert. Yeah. 
And yesterday you preached on uh, on Numbers 21. Yeah, and I, I didn't know if it would be helpful just to do a really quick yeah, recap. Just to, so if you didn't hear the message, or maybe you did, but just a really quick recap. Um, in Numbers 21, we're with the people of Israel in the desert, and uh, we hear that they, they're on a road trip. They're getting closer to the promised land, and we hear about a moment on the road trip where they spoke against God and against Moses, and they're basically sinning. And, and the story is that God sends these snakes into the camp, um, and one of the things I argued was that God is disciplining his people. Um, and and I talked about kind of having like a modern view of like daddy um, as a father, like that where there's, you know, you know, uh, I used a U2 song, daddy is going to pay for your crash card. This idea of, of a father that just kind of enables his children or spoils his children without any consequences or accountability or discipline. But, but I was just trying to argue that these venomous snakes that God sends into the camp are this act of mercy, that the, that the snakes are kind of this wake-up call um, to a people that God loved deeply. Because at this moment in the story, Israel really doesn't want God. They want, they want to turn away from God, uh, you know, go back to Egypt or to Canaanite gods. or And that really, f- for the people of Israel, this is like going back to darkness. And so mm. how does God protect his family? to say, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go back to darkness. And, and that sometimes he uses pain as this alarm bell, this signal that something's not right. Then of course, like we ended the sermon, just looking at, at Jesus who later on in his life, he sees that the healing where God tells Moses to put a a bronze snake on a pole and lift it up. Jesus sees, uh, in his own life, like on the cross that he's going to be lifted up and that anyone who believes in him would have eternal life. So I think just this we wanted to just just give a little recap to um, this picture of God disciplining his people and yet giving them the remedy, right? That God is not, he doesn't just discipline without the remedy. He, he confronts them, um, but he gives them a beautiful healing. And, and actually, and maybe we can talk more about this later, but that where was God at the cross? Well, the New Testament says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So that this is actually God giving up his own life. God is hung on a pole. And when we see the cross, we are healed, that there's this remedy. Um, So that's a little recap of what we walk through. But of course, it raises lots of questions Mm -hmm. about God and how he does discipline and how he apparently sent snakes into the camp. So Corey, Corey actually had asked me, you had asked me a bunch of Good questions, mm-hmm. thoughts that went through your mind, yeah. um, pushback maybe. So, yeah, now it's time to chat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our little disclaimer, Matthew and I love each other, just so you know. And so uh, even though we sometimes have fun little disagreements, we also get along really well. And That's we right. enjoy these kinds of conversations. Is that true? Yeah, we do. Yeah, totally. I do. I'm probably annoying to you sometimes. No way. Are you sure? Really? I'm positive. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I think the first thing, so yeah, for me, obviously it's an uncomfortable passage and we've had conversations maybe similar to this in the past when we've talked about things like, you know, what appears to be genocide in the old Testament and you're like, whoa, is that really how God works? And so, uh, maybe the first thing I know that, that I had, I had talked to you a little bit about this was that I, I felt like when you, when you, at the beginning there, Matthew, you talked about like the, you know, how do we read this story? And you're like, you know, we have one of three options, or at least there are at least three options. And you said, you know, one is ignore the story, keep reading. 
which I sometimes wonder, maybe some of us should do that, but not fully. But like, you know, there's little moments where it's like, maybe I'll just, I'll come back to this one, but not this case. So that's the one option. Number two, uh, is where you said, <laughs> is where you said, and I quote, and I, and I quote, <laughs> I have the paper in front of me, read the story in a really patronizing way and say something like, there was probably this moment where there's a bunch of snakes in the camp and the people of Israel just thought God was judging them. But now we know God's not like that. So the people of Israel got this wrong. Uh, and number three is to see it as a real story that it actually happened. It's written and really wrestle with it. I think for me, what I felt like was like, hey, can we at least acknowledge, let's take out the word patronizing. That mm-hmm. was my, my thought. And I was like, can we at least acknowledge that there are actually there are a number of, of scholars and historians and people that take the Bible seriously and take Jesus seriously that would actually say, no, number two, that, like, there is some legitimacy to some of this because not all of, like, Scripture is written in many different, you know, literary ways. And so I know that we're, you know, if we're talking history, I'm not, we're not even necessarily going that way. But a lot of people would argue to say, well, maybe it was that, maybe it was something like this where there were... You know, tons of snakes came into the camp and people were like, oh my goodness, God is mad at us. And so they repented, which is a good thing anyways. And, you know, this happened. But I know... Can you describe that position that those theologians would take a little bit more? Because for those who didn't hear the sermon, can you just kind of say maybe the positive view of 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 what I was dismissing? Sure. Yeah, I think, and again, we maybe do this with with even more troublesome passages, or we might some. Okay, I'm going to put it this way: some theologians and and scholars have done this with with other passages, right? Where they say the argument goes something like this: Well, we, um, Jesus is the picture of God. We have the picture of God that we see in Jesus, right? He's the he's the visible image of the invisible God, and so we know what God is like. If we want to know, and in fact, you say this often: If we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. Yes. Um, Jesus uh, tells us that um, that we should love our enemies, that we should turn the other cheek, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so the argument goes, when we see things in the Old Testament um, that actually that that actually really in no way line up with what Jesus seemed to teach us about what God is like, um, we have to make we have to wrestle with that a little bit. And so some uh, some theologians and some scholars have come to the conclusion that there are passages where, you know, in that context, it might have made sense that the gods are angry, you know, and they, this would have been all around them, right? The gods are angry, and so they have done this to us. Or or in other passages, you know, it would have been a very normal thing for the, quote, gods to send us into battle and to destroy women and children in the cities, and let's just do that. That, that would have been a very normal thing. And so now I know this, again, this will ruffle feathers, so people don't like this. I'm not necessarily saying that, that this is what I believe, but I have found it interesting to, to think about, to say, well, um, what if in those situations where it's like, you know, so Joshua, you know, did God really tell you to go in and to, and to kill all the women and children in Canaan and, and to do this? Or would this have been something where it's like, hey, everyone, God has told me we should do this. And everyone's like, yes, we should. And they go in there and they do it. When the God that is revealed in Jesus is like, that's actually not exactly how this happened. But, you know, whatever, we'll move on. This is the record of Israel coming to understand who God is, who Yahweh is, in comparison with the other gods of that culture. That's the argument I think that some people would make in a story like this. They would say, they would say, you know, yeah, whether it was or not, again, I would, I'm not the person that would say, like, for sure, there's no way that that was God that did that. At the same time, they might say, you know, is there a chance that perhaps this happened? And the Israelites right away, as they would, as almost any of those cultures in those days would say, it's like, oh, this was definitely God who's angry with us, and so we need to repent, we need to, you know, that's, is that, does that help? Yeah, yeah. I guess the reason I have a problem with those views is that you don't, you don't necessarily see Jesus 
correcting that in his own life. You don't see any New Testament writer correcting any of those stories. They seem to take the stories as truth that this seemed to have happened. This, this happened and the way that, that people understood it is how, how it happened. So there's not a lot of, uh, or moments that come to my mind where you see Jesus or Paul or Peter or whoever, or John, uh, correcting that idea. Hey, you know, like the people in the old Testament, they totally got it wrong. When snakes went into the camp, um, they thought it was, they thought it was, they thought it was God. We now know it wasn't really God, right? Like actually, and I know this is a bigger topic, but you have Jesus talking a lot about judgment, that there is a judgment day and that the effects of sin are, are really grave, right? There's, there's, there's death on the other end and, and you have a choice between life and death. And, and then you have Jesus in his own life rebuking, uh, people pretty harshly, like Mm, saying, actually, you've got this wrong. And, and so there does seem to be, Jesus has this, whatever you believe the word Gehenna, that mm-hmm. the English Bibles will translate hell, whatever you mean, think that means, it's a place of fire, right? That is it the garbage heap outside the city. Is it's the right? garbage yeah. heap outside Jerusalem, but it's a place of fire and, right. and judgment. And so, so I don't find Jesus necessarily like. So if this, I guess these biblical quote unquote scholars. <laughs> <laughs> they are, no, no, no. See, I'm like, you can't, they are scholars. These are scholars for sure. Pete Enns, you don't like Pete Enns. I, I, you don't like his writing necessarily. I don't think anyone would say he's not a scholar. I think that he is a legitimate scholar. Now he comes to different conclusions than you do, mm. but I don't think that, I don't think that you could argue that he's not a scholar. Hey, Corey, <laughs> um, what do they call um, the theological student who was worst in his class? I don't know. Scholar. What do, they, what do they call the theological student who was best in his class? Huh. Scholar, same word. So, oh, <laughs> so who do you trust? Is this an actual joke? <laughs> Hang on. It's a version of a joke. It's okay. to say, it's to say, the word scholar is like, okay, you know, story. yeah, yeah, sure. Doctor. You could be a pretty, pretty bad. It's this, it's this, it's the argument people make with doctor, sure. right? Right, right. The right. the quote unquote doctor who did porous in his class, still graduates doctor, and you still go to see him, <laughs> <Okay>. right? <laughs> then who shall we trust? Who shall we trust if, if, it's, if it's all like, hey, it's a crapshoot? By the way, Jesus did say, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you this. And sometimes when he said that, if you go back and look at who said that, you've heard it said, well, apparently God said that, and Jesus is saying the opposite. So I'm just saying that's that's in, re- in response to what you had said about Jesus not correcting people. He did correct, not not all those stories. He didn't. Maybe it wasn't a question. Uh, again, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit because, like I said, I'm I'm not necessarily saying this is how it was, but but I am saying I I'm, I'm arguing for to say, look, this could this is not necessarily just something that we just throw away and say it's garbage, it's nonsense, it's terrible. No, for sure, it is something we have to wrestle with. Yeah, I I would prefer to start in a place where I'm in its historical context, in its literary context, that I'm taking God's word seriously going, there don't seem to be indicators. Like if I'm reading the story of Israel and he says, and God says, slaughter the sheep and put the blood on the door frame. Mm-hmm. And I take that as a true moment <laughs> yeah. that then has implications with the cross. Or then I take a moment where God 
leads the people through the waters of the Red Sea, and I take that as a true moment, <clears throat> then it's the same story where I look at this moment where snakes come into a camp, mm. and I can't all of a sudden go, well, I don't like that story. Therefore, you know, I took the whole, you know, lamb slaughtered, putting the blood on the door frames as true. And I took all the plagues of Egypt as true. And I took the party in the Red Sea as true. And I take the tabernacle as true. And I take the all as true. But as soon as it comes to snake story, mm -hmm. I don't, I, it was probably that there were snakes and that they then thought it was God judging them. You know what I mean? Like it's not a, it's, that's not yeah. a very consistent, that's not a consistent line of, if I'm reading the story, it's not a consistent line of thinking. Totally. Yeah. No, I, and I, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to leave that. I think that okay. my last thing that I would want to say, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you're like, Oh, I thought you said you were going to leave. Uh, I, I, I guess I'm just, I'm trying to defend it as a serious option because I don't think it's just a matter of saying like, I don't like that. You know, like the Jesus seminar, for instance, seemed to be almost more like, I don't like that. So we're going to whittle it down. The Jesus seminar was this very liberal movement, right? That was basically saying, what, you know, how much of this is actually historically accurate, right? And so they whittled totally. it down to like five words or something that Jesus said, or five verses maybe. And anyways, I, I'm not saying that. I don't think that that's not what I'm, I'm representing here. I think what I'm saying is that I think, I think rather it's more about saying, okay, if we, if speaking of consistency, if we're trying to be consistent about, about um, what God's character is like and what God is like and what we see in Jesus, then, then at the very least we do, and, and you and I had a, I think we were on the same side a little while ago when we talked about this idea, let's say of genocide, which is more of an extreme version of this, where we both, when they're historical, uh, you know, the literary genre is historical. So where we were both still like, yeah, this is something to wrestle with a little bit, like to say, hmm, how do we understand the God that is revealed in Jesus telling people to go and kill innocent women and innocent children, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's all I'm saying is that I do think that there is a place to say, hmm, maybe, I don't know, is this worth looking at? That's all. I think, yeah. so I think for me, I was probably more, as I said to you, I was more reacting to the word patronizing. Yeah, <laughs> I guess... My final statement on yeah. your first of three questions. <laughs> Just so you guys know, this is his first of three questions. That's right. The Just second one has a few subtitles. But yeah, yeah, it's okay. okay. Boy, this is going to be a long no podcast. Uh -uh. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I guess I would say it feels like we as Christians should do the hard work of taking the story seriously rather than quickly going for the easier answer. Yeah. Which I think is just to dismiss the story. And to be like, well, either I'm going to read through it or I'm going to go, yeah, they got that wrong. Right, right, right. You yeah, know, and totally. then it just feels like, okay, well, why don't we actually spend some time really wrestling with it to try to see if it, if, if there's something deeper here that we can glean anyway. Yeah, um, totally. Is there a chance, I know, see, seriously, I'm doing this, but I, I just thought of this just recently. Like, is there a chance that, that we, that in that story, we focus on the wrong thing? Like, is it, is there a chance that instead we should be. And it's, I mean, maybe this is neither here nor there, but like, it's almost like maybe we should be focusing on the, the snake that was lifted up. You know what I mean? Like where we actually, that's the focal point as opposed to was God definitely punishing? Was he, you know what I mean? Like it's like, and I guess, but I guess it's in the text. So obviously we're going to wrestle with it, but do you know what I mean? Where it's right. like we're focusing yeah, on the yeah, discipline yeah. and the punishment of God as opposed to look at how God brings healing and look how God brings restoration in the oh, middle absolutely. of a pandemic, in the middle of a terrible situation, right? Well, I think people, I think we should, and I think yeah. that's what Jesus does. Totally. He yeah. not only focuses on it, he becomes it. Oh, see? High five. We did it. Just joking. We're not actually high-fiving each yeah. other because we're still in a pandemic. <laughs> we're still... Just every, oh, yeah, yeah. We're still, still everybody we're six feet apart. Yeah. yeah. No, that just occurred to me too as we... 
yeah. Anyways, no, that's good. I, I appreciate it. And I and you're right. You're totally right. Because I don't, I, I, I feel like I have very little patience with, with either side of these kinds of conversations where it's just like, the, let's find the quick fix. Let's find the quick, easy answer. Because I don't really like that. It's like, okay, that's, that doesn't help anyone. So totally. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, good. Well, wow. that wasn't so bad. <laughs> Question two. Number two. Okay. Uh, so this one, I just, and this is just more of a, this is a maybe classic Corey and Matthew thing, but I, and I know Sherry, my wife, Sherry would laugh because she's like, you, your favorite word is nuance. Um, she's always like, Hey, is that nuanced Corey? She'll make fun of me. And I'd be like, Oh, is that, sorry. Is that nuanced? <laughs> Anyways. Um, but I just, when you, it was just a statement that you had said, uh, at the beginning there, we were talking about Chuck Colson, um, who, uh, yeah, just with the whole, uh, his work with, with Richard Nixon and obviously did a lot of um, really shady things and stuff and how he ended up going to jail for it. And then you just made the statement, God was disciplining Chuck Colson. Um, right. Right. And so for me, I think it's, it's funny. I just feel as though I think it's important for us to always say Chuck Colson believed that God was disciplining him. Because I don't think we actually, I think it's, it's, it can't, my opinion is, and this is what I was pushing back on you, tell me what you think, um, that, that it, it's, the, when we talk to the way God acts, especially when it comes to things like this, it's like, I think mystery is, is pretty important. And I, it could very well be that I know Chuck Colson definitely believed that God was disciplining him, but it's like, okay, do we know that? For, is that definitely how God does this? Because if it's true that God was most definitely disciplining him, then I definitely have a whole lot of questions about, about that. You know, like, like, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't do it often. It seems like, you know, he doesn't, he's not consistent. Um, is the opposite true? Like there's lots of kind of questions that get tagged onto it. So right. that was my only thing was just like, uh, I would feel way more comfortable saying, you know, Chuck Olson believed that God was disciplining him. And then of course you ask, well, what's the definition definition of discipline? Like, is it, is it God's direct action against this person? Is it more the consequences of, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, no it's a good question. It is a good question. And, okay, let me just, I would say I agree, and then I will push back a little bit. Okay. Okay. I love it. I, I agree because Job had three friends, and they all tried to dissect and figure out why Job was suffering. Mm, right, right. And then God comes into the story and says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Mm -hmm. And clearly, nobody was getting it right. And there was a mystery to why Job was suffering, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and all the explanations given by his three friends weren't really cutting it. And God is, God more, his answer has to just remind them of who he is. And, yeah, yeah. And... Um, so, I, so, so there's that, which makes things tricky, right? Mm -hmm. It's not always clear cut. Whenever we go through a painful moment, is it like, is this God disciplining me? That's not always clear. Secondly, I would argue that it's nuanced or tricky because Jesus talks about there being a thief in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. so what, what is God bringing this into the world or bringing this pain or suffering or something like that? And disciplining me, or where is this the role of the enemy, right? Um, bringing, you know, sickness, pain, disease, war, famine, whatever. Totally. And that's really tricky to figure out as well, right? Mm -hmm. What's the role of, of God versus the role of the thief? 
who Jesus says his job description is to steal, kill, and destroy. So yeah. there is stealing, killing, and destroying in the world that's happening. And it's, according to Jesus, it's not God doing it. There's, mm. a, there's an enemy that's, yeah. that's doing it. So, so that, that's what makes this very, if, if I'm going through pain in my life, I have to think about those things. Okay, first of all, I'm thinking about the book of Job. Okay. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's not clear why I'm going through this painful moment. And secondly, there's a thief. So I have to incorporate that. Um, and so those two things make this tricky. Yeah. So I think that's where I'd want to agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and to continue a little bit here to say, there's no easy answer to this. Um, but the book of Hebrews that I quoted on Sunday seems to say there is discipline. Like, mm, right. So where, how do we figure that out? Like if, if God is a good father who disciplines his children, what does that look like? So I'm not willing to say there is no such thing as discipline. It seems like the book of Hebrews says, seems to suggest that you can kind of know to, to some extent that God's disciplining you. So I think when I share the Chuck Colson story, um, I think he can confidently say it was God's discipline because he walked through the experience, experience as the discipline of God. Hmm. So maybe the mystery more is the source, you know, the right. source for Watergate or the source for why he ended up in prison or whatever. Yeah. Which I know doesn't help the Numbers 21 story because the source of Numbers 21 seems to be God sends the snakes. Yes. Right. right but right. what I'm saying at minimum is that Chuck Colson can have the confidence that God disciplined him. Right. Right. Did yeah. it start off as God's discipline? It, there might be some mystery there, but God disciplined him. Yes. Right. Like right. he, in the process, Chuck Colson felt, um, whatever the word is rebuked and taught and by God yeah. through his prison, his time in prison. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's more, um, the, the, the hard part is today we don't have a prophet or, 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 or the, or the scriptures to tell us, right? Like we have the book of numbers that tells us if we take scripture as authority, this was God's discipline or judgment or mm -hmm. whatever on the people. That's beautiful. Cause that's clear, right? Well, somewhat clear. We're having a conversation here, but it's, and, or like, let's say there's a prophet that is with us and says, this is clearly God. Like if you think of the coronavirus, right? A lot of Christians say, oh, it's God's judgment on mm -hmm. sin or something. It's like, well, we don't have that kind of clarity, right? Right. Who's the, who's the prophet right now that's telling us exactly that this is God's judgment? Right. Where do you see that? And you know, people will look to scripture verses and maybe that's a podcast for another time. <clears throat> right. Yeah. But, but I'm saying is because we don't have that kind of clarity of why we're in this hardship, um, I think the bigger question is what do we do within the pain, right? The pain wakes us up. Now we look at our life and, and uh, like in my own story, I had confidence that God was disciplining me as I look back on that story, mm -hmm. right? right. Um, now I actually think that God did use Rob Thiessen to speak into my life in that way, that it was actually a God moment, that mm -hmm. that was God's, you could call it rod of discipline <laughs> in my right. life, you know? Um, so I guess, sorry, to conclude, I would say I can't be dogmatic that every hardship is because of my sin. No way. There's a mystery there. Um, but I think every hardship can become a space for discipline and can be a wake up call for us to be attentive to God again 
like I use that image of the Lewis, the pain is God's megaphone. Mm -hmm. Like I think it can wake me up. Um, So I think me being dogmatic about Chuck Colson is because Chuck Colson knew he was disciplined. And I just want to just one final thing. I want to just say the word discipline um, in the New Testament is the Greek word patheia. And it's an act of, of training, instruction, responsible living. So discipline, we always have this negative. It's like we think of the punitive side of discipline, right. but it's actually, it's training, it's rebuking in order for restoration. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so those are a couple of things I'd want to say. Yeah, totally. And I, I hear, I think it's funny, like, I mean, your last point there about, I think the, the challenge for me and for, and maybe for, for others is like, and this is what I would, I just have to continue wrestling with. And I don't know that we'll have the answer before eternity, but like when you think about it, so if God is, it's, it's not a punitive thing, it's more about restoration. It's again, I'm like, well, I'll tell that to the Israelites who, who didn't make it through this whole thing, right? Who, who right. got bitten by snakes and died, right? Uh, nothing super restorative about that for them, right? And these sure. are individual people. Uh, as told in the text. So, oh, can I can I stop you right there? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's an important moment, and I forgot to say that in the sermon. Yeah, that God is disi- disciplining an, a people group. Right. So it's not necessarily individual sins here, which is which is a little bit of a different beast we're dealing with. But mm-hmm. but I would say, God is God is disciplining a, a people and cleansing. Like, trying to get them to be restored to him. Right. So it is It is a little different because he's dealing with a whole community. So you're right. There were people that did die, mm-hmm. right? So how is that restorative for them? But I would say the context with Israel is that he's disciplining his people corporately. Right, yeah. So maybe we could, we could go on a rabbit trail there, but yeah, sorry, yeah. I just That's wanted okay. to insert that. Yeah, I think it doesn't feel like I get it. That doesn't satisfy the, the, the tension for me just because it's like it, we're still talking children of God, right? We're still talking people made in God's image, mm-hmm. um, uh, people that he would have said, this is very good when he made them, you know, if we if yeah. we take, you know, the creation story uh, seriously that way. Like, so I, it, it's still, there's still a tension there for me when I think about that. Um, and again, and not, to, and I go, and I know you can, this can become unfair. You think about like, you know, the, that the, the thief's, Satan's job description is to kill, destroy, and what is it? To uh, steal. Steal, yeah, kill and destroy. And it's like, oh, okay, well, kill and destroy, there's two out of three in that story, you know? And it's mm. like, oh, wow, okay. So, it, to be, you know, I think it's funny. I think that a lot of these conversations come out of um, some of my own heart, but I think a lot of, maybe a lot of um, Christians, when you think about it, because we all have such different backgrounds, right? And you're, I want to, like, we sing songs like Good, Good Father, you know, when we sing songs about God's unending mercy and his compassion and his gentleness and his, and I think that's, that's probably at the core of these kinds of conversations, right? Is that you're like, oh, I hear that story and I'm like, and I'm told God doesn't change. And this is how he disciplines his, his kids who do things that are bad. You know what I mean? Like, this is how, mm. this is actually what, what happens when you, again, I know and we would, there's a lot, there's a lot of conversation to be had in the middle of this, but do you see what I mean? Like you can see how a story like this can easily become uh, probably heading off on a on a pretty terrible path for people, right? Where it's like, oh, totally. shoot, okay, so. But how much of it do you think is that we are not thinking, we, we rarely speak in the Christian church about God's discipline? Like 
I, I regret. We did for years up until, what do you think, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago? Like, I think that, don't you think that that was... Well, that I'm the, 40, yeah, so <laughs> I, know. I Matthew, don't know. Back in 1957, <laughs> I remember, I was in a system to listen to a sermon. No, no. No, you're right. The hellfire, the hellfire swung, brims, brimstone, yeah, yeah, right? Like sure. idea. But but what I'm, what I'm saying is that today, today, we don't hear a lot, even in our worship songs. So yeah. as a worship pastor, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, because... Like, there's no verse to good, good father, which is like, you discipline, you know, you correct, yeah. you you instruct me because you love me, you know, it's who you are, it's who you are, you know? <laughs> like, like, no, we're talking about like, love so undeniable, I can hardly think. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and it's always yeah, yeah. like, it's all these songs, which I'm not saying are, hear me out, you know yeah, me. Yeah, I know you. I yeah, love yeah, totally. songs about God's love, yeah, for sure. For sure. But like, if you inserted a line in a worship song about correcting and disciplining, and you train me, and you instruct me, and yeah, 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 it just wouldn't, it wouldn't fill the stadiums of Bethel and <laughs> Hillsong worship. Hey, what do you have against Bethel and Hillsong? <laughs> yeah, no, totally, it's true. You're right. There's a few songs that do have those things in there. Really? I think, Name one. No, no. Okay, Starfield has a song. I need your discipline. It's Starfield. Like, that Starfield. <laughs> Canadian band that nobody knows about. Hey, oh. Tim and John, if you're out there, I'm so sorry. He doesn't mean that. <laughs> uh, Starfield, yeah, back in the day. What was that song? We used to do it. I need your discipline. I need Exactly. Yeah, what yeah. was that one song years ago <laughs> that had that one line about it's, discipline? It's totally true. And it's not, and I think you and I, when we talked earlier about this, it's not for me. It's like, I think it, maybe it has to do with the definition of discipline as well. That 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 is, hmm. there's some tension there, right? So you, you gave us the scriptural or the definition just a couple uh, minutes ago there. I think I sometimes wonder, again, about God's... Um, his active directive when it comes to like, this person has done that. And so now I am doing this to that person, as opposed to the idea of, um, of the natural consequences of going against the way God has created the universe and the, and, and the way that God has made things to work. Right. So sure. you, uh, a stove is very hot. And so I touch the stove and I get burnt. Right. Um, just like, and again, we talked about scripture, but there's a few scripture passages that we had were, People following Jesus want to know what, you know, uh, this man was born blind. So was he, was it because he was a sinner or was it his parents who sinned? And, and Jesus is like, well, none of them, neither of the options, right? This, we want, this is so that God's glory can be seen in him, in his life, you know? And um, I, I think maybe what I'm wondering about is, is like the, and that's maybe where we go back to number two of this, um, of how we read the scripture, where it's like, well, is it the natural consequence of going against God's, the way that God has designed the universe, the way that God has designed reality. Um, sure, because I use that image of your hand rubbing across right, right. wood. Yes, yeah, right? that's so if right. So if your hand goes the opposite way, you get a bunch of slivers sure. in yeah, your hand. Totally. Um, so I think that's there too. But I think we'll ne- we won't know in this life what the hardship, whether it was a directive of God or just the natural going against the grain. We won't know. Right, right. But we can choose, and I think this was my heart for the sermon, is just to say, if you're going through something painful, pause, stop, pray, mm-hmm. and ask God. Be like, yeah. God, is there something in my life that's not honoring to you? Because I guess what I'm saying is, without the guidance of a book of the Bible or a modern day prophet that's going to tell me, I don't know whether God is behind this pain or or it's actually the thief or it's just simply going against the grain of the universe or something like that. Mm-hmm. I won't know, but I have a, a way of responding. Can, can I, can I show, give you a case yeah, yeah, example? Totally, totally. Okay. So 
when I think of discipline, we always think of it more in a punitive, like you did something wrong way. And I think that's there in the snake story. But let me just give us a case study, okay? Because I I feel like this is helpful. Yeah. You lose your job. Okay, not you, Corey. Yep. Oh, yeah. There's a a job loss in someone's life. So it's a painful moment. Yeah. Okay. Option one is your boss is mean. A real, your boss is a jerk. Yeah. So God can still use that as discipline in your life, but hear the word discipline, the, the Greek word pathea, right? Mm-hmm. Can actually be one more like training, hmm. right? So, so you're training to learn patience against that boss that fired you or forgiveness towards your boss. So God comes into the pain yeah. and you go, you know what? You've got some edges. You've you've got some places to grow here in your forgiveness. And even though it's not your fault, it was your boss's fault. Like they totally fired you. It was wrong. But here in option number one, discipline looks more like training and learning patience and forgiveness. So you didn't lose your job because of your sin, but you are trained up like the father is disciplining you, right? right? Or option number two, the economy crashes. So this is no one's sin, or you could say corporate sin or something, sure. yeah, but yeah. the economy crashes. So it's not your boss's sin. It's not your sin. Yeah. You were a faithful employee. So here the discipline is like training as well, because you're being trained by your father to learn provision. Like right. now you've lost your job, the economy crashed, and you're going, I need to learn daily bread. Like, Yeah. And God didn't necessarily cause the scenario, but he is responding to what you are going through and he's walking with you and he's showing you things. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Not, he didn't necessarily do it. Right. Yeah. But I'm, well, I'm more saying the strict line is we just don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. We just don't right, know. Right. Okay. But option number three, you are lazy at your job. Right. And the discipline here is a rebuke. Right. So and in that scenario, and, God did cause. Well, we I don't, don't know. know. Right, okay, <laughs> I don't know, but like, but like, God is waking me up yeah. in this rebuke to the reality of my sin, yeah. and He's disciplining me. So I would say, I would say, with just like Chuck Colson, I look at that and I go, God, God used that to totally rebuke me. Now, can I say definitely that God? fired me? Well, I can't because I don't have the scriptures or the prophet or whoever to say it. Yeah. And yet I can say confidently that God rebuked me within that. Yeah. Like God disciplined. And I think that's the Chuck Colson or, or my story with, with Rob. Like, I think that's where I'm getting at is that the discipline there is more of a rebuke and that the person, so the person who loses their job to conclude my thought here yeah. is needs to just pause and go, this is a painful moment. I don't have a job. Yeah. Holy Spirit, come do a scan, Mm -hmm. do a CT scan or a MRI or whatever it is, scan me and reveal to me any area of my life where I'm not walking in obedience with you. And he does. And then he rebukes me and he shows me, oh, I need to repent of this. And then I can, I can definitely say the Lord disciplined me because he's a good father. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just an interesting way of terming it because I'm with you actually almost 100% with that. Like I'm for me it has much more to do with did is is back to the question of did God did God intentionally and directively directively directive directly get you fired from your job or was it 
a natural consequence of the economy collapsing or your laziness, which by the way is totally like, you know, uh, or whatever the first option was like. So to, to me, that's more where I'm hinging on. Like, cause I guess I feel like the grid that I am more and more, um, resonating with when I look at God and I look at his hand in my life and I look at his, his activity in the lives of people around me and in even, and, and even, I was going to say, even in scripture and in scripture, like is, is one of the redeeming God, like God who redeems, right. And restores. And, and, you know, I've talked a lot about that too, uh, or God, even as the great responder, which I remember someone said that once. And I love that the idea that things, and so again, it actually doesn't, it, it, it doesn't necessarily say, so God never ever does things or causes things to happen, but maybe it's like that those, um, that part of it is actually up to God as far as how that all goes. That's sort of the holy ground. Um, but what God will do, what we've seen, is that he'll move in immediately when you are in a situation, right? When, you're, when you have lost your job, when something terrible has happened, when that sickness is, you find out about the sickness, you know, it's like God as Redeemer comes in and comes alongside. And so again, you like the word discipline. I, I, I don't love the word discipline as much. What, not that I hate it, but I'm like, it doesn't accurately represent what I see happening or rebuke, right? It's like, well, that's not necessarily a natural word that I use, but maybe for sure it's a wake-up call maybe if I got fired because I'm lazy, right? It's like, okay, Corey, like this should be a wake-up call for you, right? And is it God rebuking me or is it God actually tenderly and lovingly, you know, being like, you can do better. And I, I believe in you. Let's do this, you know, but it, okay, so I think I feel what I hear you saying is the thing you have a hardest time with the hardest time you have is with God being the source of the initial pain or something, because I'm open to a God that would get a boss to fire me. If I was lazy, right. I'm open to that. Yeah. But I feel like for you, if I'm hearing you correctly, it messes with how you view God. It, yeah. It, it's not that I'm not open to it, but I'm, I think that I'm far less open to it than you are. Or I'm, I'm mm. much more open to saying that. I don't know. I'm not very comfortable with it because, uh, and again, it's, it's like, I, because it, it opens up the door to all sorts of what I would consider like bad pictures of God, actually. Mm. So yeah. um, on either side, and then maybe this kind of leads into, question two and three are yeah. very similar, by the way, but like it leads into the opposite effect as well. You look at someone who's living a great life, they've got lots of money, they've got the boats and the cottages and the homes, and everyone knows they're like, you know, it's like, well, they're not these great people. Like, But it's very easy then if to use this argument that God disciplines those who are sinful. If we say that as this is our mantra, and we, it's like, okay, well, clearly... These guys are not sinful. Like they're they're obviously doing something right. And so suddenly you have this. You can easily slip into a, a kind of a health, wealth, prosperity theology, where it's like, if life's going well for you, it does mean that you're doing something right with the Lord, right? And so I'm like, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't think you'd be comfortable with no, that either. No. The other side of it too is that where does it stop? And this is what I wasn't as comfortable with in the sermon too, where I'm like, okay, so we don't, you know, it's like so God disciplines people that. Um, you know, people, if, if you sin, God, you know, may be disciplining you. I remember someone asking Ravi Zacharias this question. It was actually a very sad story. It was a guy, a man who I think his son was killed in a plane accident or something. And he was, this guy was, I think, addicted to pornography. And he, um, and I think he was, he happened to be viewing or something when this happened. It was just this terrible thing. And so right, he was plagued by this mm. 
this horrific thought that somehow his sin had caused this to happen. Rabbi Zacharias, I think, actually, you know, he took him to some of these verses, like, you know, Luke 13 with the, the Tower of Siloam, where Jesus is saying, like, none of these, like, those people that died in this tower that fell, none of them were more sinful than anyone else in Jerusalem. So, like, no, it's not, it's not how this works, is what he's saying. And then John 9, you know, same thing, and... and uh, so, so Ravi Zacharias basically assured him and said, like, no, it was not your sin that caused your son to be killed, is what he was saying to him. He, he, or at least he said, I don't believe that. Um, I guess that's, that's my concern, is that when we say it so definitively, and, and again, I think we're both landing probably in similar spots here to say maybe we shouldn't say it quite as definitively, that if we say that God definitely does, he disciplines, and yeah, hmm. You know, does that make sense? What I'm trying to I'm trying to find a way to land it, but like, like for me, it's, it opens itself up to uh, maybe even a borderline abusive picture of God, right? We always hear these terrible things. I'm doing this because I love you, right? And you're like, oh, you've heard terrible stories about that, right? Where yeah. it's like an abusive father, and you're like, well, an abusive father. It's like, how about people who die from snake bites? It's like, oh, that sounds, you know what I mean? So, it's just these connections that I feel like m- make it troubling. Totally, and I I I spoke once with a man who lost his faith because of that picture of abuse, Mm. right? That God is like a abusive person who says, I love you, but I'm going to whatever. It's really painful to hear that. I mean, I think, I think obviously I, I, I have faith in the perfect love of a father who is restorative in his, in his discipline. Mm -hmm. Like he is, his aim is to restore, um, and when I look at the cross, it's hard to view an abusive father who literally at the cross jumps in front of death for you, right? Like right. He, he surrenders his own life. So, you know, that has, the cross has to factor in when we think about discipline. Yes, he's a God who disciplines, but he's the God who literally in his own flesh took the venom upon his life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just wanted to talk about your question about the wealthy, because you said it worked the other way around, yeah, or, the, yeah. or the rich, or the, the... Sure, someone who looks like they're doing yeah. really well in life, at least, yeah, uh, what it looks like on the outside, for sure, yeah. The two thoughts I have on that are, um, God is a good judge, so you may not like these answers, Corey, mm-hmm. but okay, That's but okay. like, God's a good judge, and nothing's going to go unaccounted for. So in Psalm 73, there's this, the psalmist um, says he's so, he's so frustrated because it seems like good people are getting squashed on, you know, walked all over and, and bad, wicked people are thriving. So Psalm 73 is just like, if you read it, it's just like, and he kind of goes, yeah, yeah, I know the right answer. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But honestly, it's that's not the way the real world works. Hmm. And so he has this lament, right? right? Like, this is not the way the world is working. But then he has a turning point in the psalm where he says, until I stepped into the sanctuary of God, hmm. and then I understood their final downfall, right? The wicked. Right, right. And so he, it's like he has like this epiphany in God's presence where he's like, oh, okay, you're a good judge. And you're not going to let this stuff just go, right? Mm. An earthly court might not catch it, but the heavenly court will. Right. So I think there's a judgment day, and I think Jesus is clear there's a judgment day. I think there... So it, even in this life, if the wicked get by, they're, they're not ultimately going to get by. Like, they will be held accountable at some point. Yeah. So I know that doesn't fully scratch the itch, but in the words of Johnny Cash, sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, the rambler, the gambler, the that's right. Yeah. So, but, so that's the first thing. But then I also would say this, um, 
I expect God to discipline his children. So let me say this in a cold way. Do it. If the wicked aren't being disciplined, they don't have a good father that's leaning in. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm actually saying it's it's that it's that kid that doesn't have a good uh, parent or father or whatever, mother, who runs around in high school with the doing whatever he wants. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Good point. Well, that's actually not that they don't have a context of love. It's actually the kid who actually goes home and is like, oh man, my dad grounded me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's crummy, but you have a loving dad who actually is giving you boundaries and actually, so I guess I could look, I could say, oh, look at all the wealthy and they're just like thriving in life and they're just doing whatever they want. And I'm like, yeah, I guess if, if I thought I guess if I thought that was the good life that God has for me, (laughs) then I should be frustrated with that. But he loves me enough to teach, train, correct, rebuke. Um, So I guess the wicked not being disciplined is not a problem because they're not in the context of a heavenly father that is going to do that because he loves them. Right. Yeah. Good point. I don't know. Nicely done. Yeah. That was a good one. It's like, (laughs) it's like you're, uh, no, no, really. That was like your N.T. Wright quote a little bit, right? Yeah, he talks a little bit about that in your sermon. You, you right. mentioned NTRIT's quote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know what? It's, it's true. I think, and you know what? I think we can actually, we should probably end this pretty soon. Like, that's that's a helpful thought. And I think at the end of the day, for me, the what what I am still, what I'm not comfortable with, and maybe you're not either, like, I, and maybe I could frame it in this way. Like, I remember back when the terrible tsunami in the, uh, uh, whatever. Indian Ocean. Yeah, Indian Ocean. Yeah, yeah the Indian yeah. Ocean tsunami back in like 2000 and whatever it was early on. You know, and there were a number of theologians that that made the big statements like God is judging these places because they they don't worship Him, and they you know, and I think you and I would both I think agree that that's that's a terrible that's a terrible um, right. I would say statement. how on earth do how you on know earth that? do you know that and why? Yeah, yeah it's like um, and and many by the way would also say I don't think God does that. Actually, um, you may not. You may not. Actually, I'm not even sure if I would. I wouldn't say it so definitively either. God does not do that, but I would definitely say like you do not know any more than anyone else knows that this is God's action. Um, I think that is what is um, what is what is hard about all of this is to be able to say so is is maybe to embrace the mystery of it in our day and age now, right? So what sure. I'm less comfortable with is saying, oh yeah, so God is um, so you've right, so you. Um, so this happened in your life. It's okay. So like, it's funny. It's almost like a, a bit of a joke where it's like, oh, there must be, I'll joke around with my kids. This is probably bad, bad parenting right now. But like, you know, if, if Ruby says, oh, this, this is so annoying and frustrating that this happened to me, you know, it's, it might be a joke for me to be like, well, is there some sin in your life that you need to, you know, and I know it's not, but it's like kind of joking right. and being kind of condescending. And, but there's a reason that it's kind of condescending and annoying because like, well, we know how that's been abused in the past, right? That's where I feel I think much more inclined towards saying, "Hey, let's let's be very very humble about this is for Corey. I'm just saying, like, let's be, Corey be humble in in being too clear and too certain about how God works when it comes to things like punishment. You know, punishing someone for something they've done or disciplining them. Maybe in your own life, go ahead, do what you want to do because it's you. You can, you know, it's like I feel like God's punishing me or God's disciplining me for this. That's great, but." Um, maybe that's more what I'm uncomfortable with. And then of course, the second part is just that the extreme punishment in this, in this passage is, is mostly what I'm, cause I think everything else I'm like, yeah, hundred percent. I love the CS Lewis quote about God. He, he shouts to us in our pain with a megaphone. Like, I'm like, absolutely. Like for sure. That's often when we get the most attention in my life, when I've hit rock bottom, 
that's when I can hear God most clearly. That's actually when God moves in and it's like, okay, now I can get through to you, you know? Totally. It's for me, it's more about the cause where it's like, okay, so did God really kill? Did God really kill these people with snakes? Like what a horrible, horrible thing. And how on earth is that restorative for them, right? If God is a, is a restorative and merciful and compassionate father, right? As revealed in Jesus, like how on earth does that, that's still the tension for me is to say, mm. is to say, okay, the cause of that, I get that, you know, out of that can be great restoration, great growth for the rest of the, the crew. I just keep thinking about the kid who doesn't have a dad anymore in the Israelite camp. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, like I always, for me, it's like a right, right back home. So I'm like, okay, so yeah, how does that work? That's what I feel the tension about those two things, maybe. Yeah. The mystery and then the cause sometimes. Yeah. Nope, I could I could meet you there too. Like I, it's not like an it's not like I love thinking about this story at all. Yeah. Um, and this is an area where you and I disagree, but I I still think a creator has a right to do whatever he wants with his creation. Yeah. Right. Right. You do the potter and the clay. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely so has the right. He has the right, uh, and how he chooses to work in his creation, he's got the he's got the ability to give and take away and to give life and to take life. Cause yeah, I like, and, and our conversation will go on, Corey. It will. Yep. Totally. For many years to come. <laughs> For many years to it is an absolute pleasure to be able to supervise you here at North Langley, Matthew. And, uh, <laughs> just oh, if anyone's listened this long, thank you. I know. Seriously. Yeah. We're at like, uh, well, we're getting close to almost an hour. So oh, we, should, we should land the plane. Okay. This is good though. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It's, I, I love, by the way, for those of you that are, so the six of you that are still listening, that joke's probably not as funny anymore, but, um, uh, I do love the fact that Matthew. I do love the fact that we that we can actually dialogue about this. Yeah, I've had a lot of friends who have worked in this kind of environment where it's like, no, I could never actually, I could never say what I actually think about this stuff because, like, I'd get, you know, there'd be all sorts of worry about, you know, my my faith and my. I've always loved that about you is that it's like oh. you're like, no, let's talk about. It. I want to hear. It. What do you think? Like, no, that's dumb. Here, you know, and we have great conversations. So I I really oh, appreciate cool. it. Um, well, I yeah. feel the same way. It's great Good. to be able to chat about it. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. Okay, well, North Langley, uh, we love you. I think we're finishing this. Are we, are yeah. we ending it? Yeah. Are we ending? <laughs> <laughs> we're totally ending this. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's good to chat, and we will do this again, probably not, hopefully not as long in the future as it took this last time. Yeah. But yeah, guys, God bless you. Have a yes, great rest of your week, and we will chat with you soon. See ya. Mm-hmm.